0: We were just singing, it is well with my soul. Those words were written by Horatio Spafford who lost his daughters at sea and was inspired to write that hymn. I believe him when he says it is well with his soul, but I don't believe he thought he had arrived. Did you catch the line, "O oh Lord, haste the day when my faith will be sight? Oh, it's well with his soul, but there's still plenty of faith to be gained, right? It is well with my soul. Uh, It is well with our souls quite uh, differently, I'm sure, this morning in all of us. If you're a believer in Jesus, there's a degree to which everything is well with your soul because you're in Christ. That's where he goes in this hymn, right? In the midst of dealing with great suffering and evil, he's able to say, My sin not in part, but, as whole is na- but in whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. O my soul! So he, he praises God because of Jesus. That's his anchor in the midst of suffering. And our passage this morning in Genesis 15 is an invitation to have faith in God and faithfulness that flows from that. But I don't want us to miss that it is at the same time an invitation to doubt. In a very real sense, it's an invitation to struggle, to question, to wrestle. As we've preached through Genesis, that has been so clear that the the patriarchs, the, the ones who established the faith for us were frail, fallen, struggling people who were prone to great failure as well as faithfulness and failure on the way to faithfulness. I want us to leave here this morning realizing that God is patient with our questions. He's patient with our struggles. He's actually made it this way. I guess he could have solved it all right in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve fell. And I I bet most of us would say, that's a better option. Just get it done. Get it over with. But he's chosen to let this thing go on for millennia. And so we've got to grow in patience with the process as well. So we can say it is well with our souls all coming here realizing that we're very in, in very different places depending on circumstances in our lives, depending on where we happen to be right now. We're in different degrees of ability to say that with faith. Some of us said the words, but it didn't feel very well with your soul. Some of you said it and you're saying, yes, I am believing this. Maybe in spite of your circumstances, maybe in part because of how God's been providing, but we need to realize that struggle is part of the process. And old Abraham is so helpful to us in showing not just an example of faithfulness, but an example of struggle. We've seen it. We've seen it in all the frail people in the Bible and certainly in the book of Genesis. Genesis 15 has a great picture of for us of what faith development looks like and i'm eager to dive into this together let me just tell you uh, three weeks from now i'm preaching on justification by faith and so i am going to preach part two of this sermon then so if you say my goodness you didn't get to half of what's there exactly (laughs) exactly I'm going to get to it. So, go easy on me. I really want to bear down on, the, uh, on, on part one of this sermon, okay? Let's, let's read Genesis chapter 15, verses one through six. That's all I got, and this is part one. Wait three weeks for part two. As I preach on justification by faith in the Reformation conference, Sunday morning. You ready? Genesis 15, 1. After these things, what things? Oh, Abram rescuing Lot from these tribes, these hostile tribes. He has now, in doing that, acquired a whole bunch of enemies, which means acquiring a whole bunch of fear. He's got enemies now. He is, the most recent events of his life were a display of faithfulness, taking on these tribal chiefs who are now enemies, wanting him dead. And so circumstantially, he's got one more reason to struggle, doubt, question, and fear. After these things, before Abram says a word, God speaks. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me for I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. Second time. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. He's made that promise. He is reiterating it, confirming it, repeating it. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven. And number the stars, if you are able to number them. <laughs> Obviously, he wasn't. Get the point? And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Oh, it's just beautiful. Found this this picture of Abram and the stars. Is that cool? Look at that. Oh, love that. Can we just leave that up there, Brandon, for the duration of the sermon? Um, yeah, he he brings him out and he confirms his promise to him. He gives him this amazing image from creation to point him to how abundantly god will provide in fulfilling his promise not meagerly not at the wrong time but abundantly right out of god's infinite character that is capable of doing all he promises to do he never runs out of ability or knowledge or wisdom or power to accomplish all his holy will and that's what he promises after these things in the midst of struggle and doubt and fear, now what I want you to realize is, Abram here is wavering in his faith. He's displayed great faith so far. He's had moments of beautiful faith, just leaving his homeland, er, to, to, to go somewhere. He doesn't even know where. And God says, come. And he has great faith in leaving his homeland, or like that. And then he, he shows great faith in the previous section here where he takes on these tribal chieftains. He showed great faith a few weeks ago when I preached on chapter 13 where he's willing to say to his nephew, take whatever you want. His trust was in God's provision. So he didn't have to micromanage the situation to make sure he got what was coming to him. Showed great faith in that. He also has shown great failure in faith, like letting Sarah become part of Pharaoh's concubine in Egypt. And so there are ups and downs to his faith in this great hero of faith who is over and over again in the New Testament held up as an example of faith, nevertheless has struggles in his faith. Please know, struggle's part of the deal on the way home. There will come a day when we don't struggle anymore, when we don't doubt anymore, when we will no longer see through a glass darkly, when our faith will be sight. That day's coming, but until we get there, we do see through a glass darkly and we do struggle. Please know that's part of the deal. Don't feel guilty. Don't be ashamed. Don't keep your doubts and struggles and fears to yourself. No, it's part of the deal. Anytime someone comes to me and says, oh, I'm struggling with my trust in God or with, with my sexuality or with how to live before him or what to do with my future or uh, the state of my finances have filled me with doubt and struggle. Uh, people come and they, they tell me, oh, I've got these struggles. I'll usually say, great, great. Huh? Great! If we're not struggling, we're not growing. If there's no battle, you must be ignorant. Right? If you don't have any struggles with faith, you're not paying attention. Look, if Vegas didn't make you in any way say, Huh? Lord? What? How much longer, just like the prophets, just like the great people in the Bible, how much longer, Lord? We don't understand this. If you just sort of keep rolling with no struggle, no doubt, no wrestling, no battles, you're just not paying attention. You're living in some sort of blissful ignorance. And so I want us to realize how important it is that we struggle That we doubt on the way home. It's part of it. It's part of faith development. And there's a lot of good reason for it. It's been a a couple decades plus since the promise was made for Abram here. Every day that goes by, he's getting older. And in him is lessening and lessening capacity to be part of God fulfilling the promise, if you know what I mean. And he looks at Sarah, that that one's coming. Sarah's going to do the same thing in a little bit. He looks at Sarah and says, whoa, how's this going to work, Lord? He's looking at Sarah, he's thinking about himself, all this time is going by, there are all these challenges, there's risk to his own life right now. Look, he's got really good reason to doubt. He's got good cause for struggle, for fear. Just not sufficient in light of the character of God. Oh, there are reasons. Sometimes trusting God, you know, when you make decisions, do you ever have sort of a pro and con? Uh, Should I do something? Should I not do something? And you list all the reasons to do something and all the reasons not to do something. Sometimes trusting God has lots of reasons in the don't trust Him category. And sometimes in the trust Him category, circumstantially, all you've got is He's God. One. You you may have 50 things in the don't trust Him category, and you just got one in the trust Him category. He's God. Now, we cling to that, and we don't stay there. we see evidence of His faithfulness that leads us to faithfulness all over the place. But that's got to be enough for us, the character of God. It's got to be enough for us. We trust him because He says He is. And even though all the circumstances don't add up to faith, it's not the circumstances that determine what we do. It's God. And please realize that even when God does indeed fulfill the promise in giving him an heir, which he does in Isaac, and in giving him the land, the land awaited generations after. Abram never saw it. It was a fulfillment after he was dead. The land, the heirs, he never got to see the numerous stars. He just got to see his immediate offspring. And even after Isaac came, he even had greater faith challenges. God says, go and take your son and sacrifice him. What? The need for faith doesn't end even when this promise is fulfilled. And so the struggle endures. Don't judge Abram. Don't judge him. (laughs) Relate to him. Understand him. Say, oh, I get it. I get it. I understand. There's a process on the way to the promise. There always is. And this is what we forget all the time. God makes promises, something goes wrong, we doubt him. Instead of saying, oh yeah, he loves to work things out in difficulty. Calling faith to us in a greater way. He allows for four hundred years in Egyptian captivity, and for Moses forty years before the burning bush or the Red Sea parting. And the Bible gives us the highlights, so we can forget that so often. That most of life is patient endurance, not burning bushes and parted red seas. It's, the Bible can be sort of like Sports Center. You know, it condenses a whole day of sports into just a half an hour of highlights. And if that's all you think it is, you'll have a very skewed conception of sports, won't you? You'll actually go to a game and say, this is boring, right? But Listen to the Bible because it's highlights but don't miss the 40 and the 400 and the thousands of years leading to God's ultimate fulfillment in these things and however much longer he takes before he makes all things new we need patient endurance along the way do you know this is the fourth time God has reiterated the promise to Abram isn't it great to know God's patient with this isn't it great to know? if I'm a very impatient person. It's one of my besetting sins. It, it's a, it may be the sin I've struggled with more than anything in my life. I am very impatient. Fruit of the Spirit I lack most. And so I, when I put myself in God's place in this situation, he makes the promise, Abraham steps out in faith, and then he struggles again. Makes the promise. Steps out in faith, struggles again. Makes the promise. Fourth time here. If I were God, I would treat Abram the way I treat my kids and my sinful impatience very often. What, did you not hear me the first three times? <laughs> right? But God loves to enter into the process with us, not with Eric impatience, but with godly patience. He loves to be in there with us as our faith grows. He's so good in this way. Now right here, I, I want to pause, and I want to say it's important to distinguish between good doubt and bad doubt. There's a difference. Good doubt says, why, Lord? How much longer, Lord? I don't understand, Lord. Help, Lord. But do you notice you're directing that to the Lord? And you're doing it like this. There's a big difference between saying, why, Lord? I don't understand, Lord. And why, Lord? Big difference. Really big difference. The difference between this and this is massive. And especially among the younger generation. Listen up. I don't know. 30 and below. I hear so much, you know. Just say whatever you want to God. Be angry at God, you know. He can take it. Be raw with God. Say whatever you want. Express your anger. And and sometimes, like, yeah, just say cuss at God, whatever, you know. And I want to say, whoa, 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 You know, he kills people. <laughs> Did you know he does it? Why you read the Bible? He, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. See. Sometimes we encourage bad doubt. You know what we encourage? We sometimes, in that way, in, you know, be raw, be real with God. And just, I, I just, I'm afraid. But you know what we encourage? We encourage the kind of doubt that was present, say, at the golden calf. This God up on Mount Sinai, he's scary, he's taking forever. Hey, Aaron, make us, make us a user-friendly God. See, that's not good doubt. That's idolatry. That's rebellion. We've got to know the difference, right? It can sound even similar or look similar, but it's a matter of the heart. It's the difference between this and this, right? And I must tell you, I love the honest, good doubt so many of you express, creating an environment at this church where doubt isn't a bad thing. Not when it's, you know, sometimes doubt is an excuse to go clubbing, right? I know a guy who, who's a youth pastor for years, and when a kid would come back from college after his freshman year and say, oh, I'm struggling with doubt, I'm struggling with doubt. After a while, he, his lead question now was, what's her name? So, what do you mean? What's her name? What do you mean? You know, the woman you're sleeping with. Oh, how'd you know? Ah, just... Eight out of ten times, it's not really the ontological existence of God you're struggling with, but just doing what you want to do, right? So let's, let's differentiate between rebellious so-called doubt, that's just an excuse to do what you want and call your own shots, and legitimate struggling in your faith with open-handed, why, Lord? God loves that kind of doubt. He loves that. He invites that in and he meets us right where we are just like he does with, with old Abram here. It's a beautiful display of what's going on. I, I really want us to be a church and I think we are but I want us to grow in this. I, think, I bet some people have a perception of grace as it's all about conviction with no room for struggle. Look, as, as one of those many who are in the struggle, not only in my own life, but with many others, that's not the reality of grace. If that's your perception, you're wrong. There's weeping and tears and struggling and prayer and going to war for our faith on a daily basis with death and financial troubles and, and marriage troubles and, and faith doubts of all kinds. It couldn't be more real. If that's what you think, you're just looking from the outside. We've got, all, we've got any kind of struggle you want, we got it. We got it. I could list them for you. Starting with my own life. And so let's, let's be a, 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 a little subculture here that understands what good doubt is and how important it is and helpful it is and even necessary it is for good faith development. That's what Abram's going. And I think he's actually got two kinds of doubt here. First, he doubts God. He's doubting God. Can he pull this off? Verse 2. Oh, Lord, what will you give me? He's told him he'll give him a child, but he says, what will you give me? I think he's got some questions about God. And if that's good doubt, that's good. It's an important part of the process. And God brings him the word, and he comes to him in a vision, and he does it twice. And so he says that the word of the Lord came to him. Verse 4. Word of the Lord came to him, verse 2. And he believes him. He believes the Lord. And and I don't think in that moment, but in general, the Lord recognizes in verse 6 that he is a faithful man. But the struggle continues, doesn't it? Verse 8. But he said, Oh Lord God, see, he goes to the Lord. Not social media, not his Twitter account. He goes to the Lord. Not to his cynical friends who confirm his doubts but to the Lord. Nothing wrong with going to friends but find godly ones who will confirm faithfulness. Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? I think his doubt's about God and his doubt is about himself. And both of those things are a reality for us. And so we've we've got to be a church that struggles together knowing it's part of the deal. Now, So on one hand, we don't want to be a church of simplistic faith and we want to have a a faith development that's growing. like, Like Abram's example here where we're expressing doubt to God and godly people helping us. And so we don't want simplistic faith, but we also don't want to think that the ideal is to be forever wallowing in doubt. That's the other side of it. Sometimes in reaction against uh, maybe environments you might have grown up in where questions were bad and doubts weren't allowed. And there, it, it, And you know, a church that doesn't allow questions produces skeptics. It does. You want to produce skeptics? Don't let people ask questions. I love it when people ask questions. Even after a sermon. Sometimes mad. Mad at what I said. Oh, I love that. You were listening. You were listening. Yes! You're mad about something. There's life. Yes! And and we need to ask questions. We need to be able to be asked questions. We need to be ready for that and love that. But doubt isn't a virtue. Doubt's a means to virtue. Doubt's a means to faith. It's a means to good things. It's not the end of the story. So let's not think it's all about, look how raw and real I am and I'm I'm never a result. And that's my other concern, especially 30 and under. Listen, um, sort of this never and... A friend of mine said one time, if I hear of one more church that has the name Journey in its name, I think I'll puke, he said. No, it's a journey. That's one half. But the other half is, do we ever arrive anywhere? Do we ever actually arrive? Are we ever standing on firm ground with a happy look on our faces? Or is it just forlorn, emo, sort of never resolved, a dark, raw, ugly? Or is it ever, God's at work. He's redeemed me. I'm having victory in my life. Is that okay? Is that real too? I hope so. I hope so. So let's not fall to either end or the extreme. And just a few things to keep in mind. A little advice about how we struggle together. One, don't have disdain for simplicity. It's, I've never met a cynic who works in children's ministry. Either because cynics aren't attracted to it or kids get that out of you. I don't know. That hallway's not filled with cynics. I mean, there's something about children, childlike faith that Jesus holds up. Don't have disdain for simplicity, even though we don't want to be simplistic, not thinking about things. But let's not in that, think that complexity's the, de- the, the goal. No, a simplicity that you can actually explain God to a four-year-old. And they can get it. Kids come to Christ at Four. They get it. They get the plan of redemption for it. Let's not forget it. That's what I love about our children's worker like Halverson over here he, and, and so many others sitting out here. They bring the goods to our kids. It's not color this picture of the ark. <laughs> Cute animals. Be nice to your brother. Goodbye. No, it's big <laughs> things of God, right? It's, it's the deep things of God we get to our kids. And our kids are setting the pace for our parents saying, wow, i got to get my Bible. My kids ask me questions I don't have answers to right? It's beautiful. And so we, we've not, don't have a disdain for simplicity. There is a simplicity in it. Let's not miss that. Two, realize that part of the gloriousness of the way God reveals himself is also part of the difficulty. He doesn't drop principles of theology in a vacuum from heaven. He reveals himself to real people at real times in real places like Abram, who was no doubt missing most of his teeth by now. Let's not sanitize any of this. And that makes it gloriously meaningful and personal and real, but it also makes us difficult because there's a messiness to it. There's a process to it we need to appreciate. Three, when you seek certainty and belief, faith and belief, don't go looking for mathematical, scientific sort of certainty. It's primarily a relational kind of certainty, like when I say, I know my wife loves me. I know it beyond the shadow of doubt. Now, can I prove that to you in a laboratory or like a math equation? No, I can point to things in her life, but, but it's a different kind of knowledge. So don't look for a kind of certainty. And be okay with, I believe that like 70%. <laughs> That's how it goes. There are some beliefs I have that are 51% beliefs. I may change my mind tomorrow. Some are in the 80s and 90s nothing will be hundred till you get to heaven and so be okay with that's enough of a percentage for me to bank my whole life on this and that's that's what faith looks like and also uh, for realize that belief is not just a rational mind intellectual sort of category belief is a relational category that's worked out in real life And when you have a belief, if it's a real belief, it affects your behavior, and that behavior confirms the belief. Listen to what Jesus says. I think of this passage often. Listen to what he says. If anyone chooses to do God's will, you hear what God says, you say, I'm going to do that. Listen to what Jesus says happens. He will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. You want to validate the word of God? Live it out. Put it into practice. Step out on a limb. Have faith and it will confirm its truthfulness to you. It doesn't happen in a rational vacuum. It's something that works itself out in daily real life. Jesus is the answer. He explains everything. The Bible explains everything. I've never read anything that comes close to have the, having the explanatory power that the Bible does for reality, for my human condition, for your human condition, for evil in the world like Vegas and great good in the world like Vegas of people willing to give their lives to save the lives of others. The Bible's got explanations for all of those kinds of paradoxes in the world. Far better plausible explanations than anything else I've ever heard. And so, bottom line then, and in the midst of all our good thinking, keep asking yourself, what about Jesus? What about Jesus isn't true? What about Jesus isn't beautiful? What about Jesus isn't trustworthy? That's really what we need to keep asking ourselves. And God is patient with this process. But he calls us out of it. He doesn't want us to stay there. He comes to them with a word and says, fear not, Abram. I know you're fearful. I'm patient with you in that, but don't fear. He comes with a vision of stars and at the end of this chapter with a torch passing through a sacrifice that Kenny is going to get to preach next week. I can't believe I don't get to preach on it. Hope he blows out his knee in his marathon he's running and I get to preach it. No, that's not true. And isn't it good? Oh, stop it. You can't speak things into existence. It's not bad luck. It's just trying to be funny. Um, <clears throat> um, God can't. I can't. So um, I love the guy. I would, I would help him if his knee got hurt. I'd be there... Wiping his mouth and stuff um, but it doesn't, what's that yeah right it'll wheel him up here and yeah, okay um, I, but he'll be on pain meds it'll be so I'll have to do it um, <coughs> um, <laughs> the, he won't have a choice um, <laughs> more meds uh so um <coughs> You don't stay in your doubt. You, you move out of it. Like Jesus is patient with Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? But he meets Thomas. He says, Here, here's, here's the evidence you're longing for, Thomas. And stop doubting. Stop doubting. And blessed are those who believe and don't see the degree of evidence you have. Also, oh, doubt is part of the deal, but it's not the end Goal. We're called out of it. And the way he calls us out of it, don't miss it, is the word. It's the word. I love it. Look how it starts. Before Abram even expresses any doubt after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So he gives a word and he gives a vision. The first one stars and then this amazing vision in a dream. And I believe God gives miraculous visions, but actually the main kinds of visions he gives are not miraculous. The main kinds of visions, illustrations, things that touch our emotions and give us pictures of things, the main way he does that is not through miraculous visions, although he may do that. The main way he does it is through images like 13 baptisms Sunday night we just had. 13 images of dying with Christ and being raised to walk in newness of life with a story to go with it. I... I was I wanted to run all over Amarat after those services, those baptisms Sunday night. The way he does it is through the Lord's Supper, where we come and we partake of this, this image of the body and blood of Christ and ingest it in a demonstration of what Jesus has done for us. The way we image is not, not through miraculous things, but more through stars, the power of God and revelation and creation and in human beings made in his image and in the fellowship of the saints. That's what we're called to, to come and gather among God's people, to build our faith by being encouraged mutually by one another's faith. That's why we come. We come here because we need more faith. And we come here because we want people to glean faith from ours. And I just want to ask you these questions. Do you come here as a straggler wanting faith with that kind of honesty. But even in the midst of that, do you come here as a minister wanting to be an example of faith for other people? If people watched you worship in the first half of this service, would they have drawn faith from it saying, she obviously believes those words. Look at her. If somebody knew how you spent your money, would it be in a display of faith in God's faithfulness? trusting him if people knew the kind of holiness you seek after saying no to selfish desires and sinful desires and the lust of the flesh and the in the pride of life it's saying no to those things consistently if they watch a pattern of growing holiness in your life would they be encouraged to follow that as well if people notice your devotion to the word that's what he does he brings the word and that's how faith grows so are we devoted to the word if someone looked at your life would it show man he trusts the word He trusts the God of the Word, ultimately. And I'm inspired to draw faith from the Word. If somebody knew about your prayer life, would they draw faith from it? If they looked at your marriage, even when it's hard and how you hang in there with the promise you made, would they be drawing faith from your faithfulness in that way? You see, the stars are great. And even the dream vision he has at the end of this chapter is great. But the primary normative way God images the truth of his Word is among his people. Among the people of God, the fellowship of the saints, as we come drawing faith and having faith drawn from our lives. At the same time, this isn't just about having tidy lives and better lives. This is about deepening faith and being a source of the faith of others being deepened. You come with a goal of edification for yourself and for others, not just from the whole deal, but from you from your life, from your faithfulness in proclaiming Christ. I'm looking out on your faces, and I have drawn faith from hundreds of you in here. It's just amazing watching you live your lives and how my faith is built up just as a, an observer. And I hope you look at yourself that way, not just as someone who desperately needs faith drawing from others, but it becomes a source of that as well. And that's what we're called to as the people of God. And so, look to Jesus. Be called out of this. Realize it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram. That's how he builds his faith. Yes, with a vision to put an exclamation mark on it, to illustrate it, but it's grounded in the word. Do you know when it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram here in verse one, and the word of the Lord came to him in verse four, those are the only two times we have that phrase, the word of the Lord came to him. The prophets have that said of them, but this is the only time in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that those phrases are used. God is making a serious point to Abram. When he wants to encourage him in his faith, he brings him a word. He brings him a word. And experiences are great. But experiences come and go. Experiences can be, be spotty. But the word of the Lord is the anchor out of which you even interpret and understand your experiences. We are so experientially driven subjective, immediate experience determines everything for us. The Word of God needs to be the anchor for us. Of all the sessions we're having for the Reformation Conference, the one I'm looking forward to most is Karin Statina's. She's going to give on Luther and the Word of God. He was terrified as a monk under the the wrath of God. And he read in the Bible that the just shall live by faith. He read in the Bible that Christ became a curse for us so that we don't have to be accursed. And he traded in all his experience for the truth of the Word of God and he said, here I stand, I can do no other. My conscience is held captive by the Word of God. The Word gripped him. Let's not be knocked off course constantly by the current experience we may or may not be having, but let's be anchored in the Word of God then we will be capable of being sources of faith for others and our faith will be growing in the way God intends for it to grow. And when we're defined by the word in this way and our experiences are interpreted in light of this, we see that God is worthy of our trust. All our trust. All of it. And then we can answer the greatest question there is. Among all the questions, Abram's saying, will I have an offspring? Will I get the land? What will this look like? He's struggling. And in the midst of your very legitimate questions and struggles about why Vegas and why another job loss or why another conflict relationally or why one more health challenge, as you're asking those legitimate questions, please make sure your biggest question is the biggest question, which is, how can I be right with God? How do I have a relationship with God? In the midst of all those other good questions, you need to be asking the question, what does it mean to be made right with God? How do I have a relationship with God? And we find the way we have a relationship with God is in the fulfillment of the offspring promise and the fulfillment of the land promise and the fulfillment of every other promise God makes, and that's in his Son, Jesus Christ do you know how Jesus is described? God's the great promise keeper. (laughs) He's the great promise keeper. Listen how Jesus is described in 2 Corinthians 1. All the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen. Yes, it is so. Amen. Amen. To God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. In Jesus, all the promises are fulfilled. In Jesus, the sacrificial lamb is fulfilled. In Jesus, the great high priest who offers the sacrificial lamb is fulfilled. All God's promises are yes and amen in him. And we say, when we say no to ourselves and our sin and our experience and trust Jesus as the fulfillment of all of God's promises, that's when we're right with God. And that's when we can see every other thing in our lives, the struggles, the joys, all of it, in light of having peace with God in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, life is completely different. And our souls are flooded with faith because of God's faithfulness because he's the great promise keeper. Help us, Lord, to trust you. We have so many reasons uh, to have doubt and struggle, to not trust you. Help us, Lord, to be filled with growing faith and trust and hope and peace and freedom from fear and doubt and anxiety and struggle because you are King. And you are creator, and you are the God who saves us through Jesus. So help us now, Lord, be a people who are faithful because you are the faithful one. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.